story of the transfiguration, as it's called, is a mountaintop story in every sense of the word. In addition to literally taking place on top of a mountain, it is also a peak in the plot of Jesus' ministry. Up until this point, the story of Jesus has been going up, up, up as we see the miracles he performs and gradually understand more of who he is and how he can save. After this, the story takes a turn and heads down, down, down toward Jerusalem and the cross. This story is intentionally told as a parallel to the story of Moses that we just heard. It helps us understand that Jesus, like Moses, is the one who sets us free through the cross. Here's the reading. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking with him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. So like Pastor Sherry was saying, we just got back from El Salvador. Amazing trip. Um, this is our, we go twice a year, but this is the, the medical trip. We do the clinic, although it's kind of more of like a health fair. Um, so I got to do a lot of different things. I got to put fluoride on kids' teeth and talk about toothbrushing. I got to help some of the older folks there find reading glasses and a prescription that worked for them. I got to talk with women about women's health and the menstrual cycle, which is not something they teach you how to do in seminary, by the way. So just awesome week, a great clinic. We had a group of, what, 23 people, mostly Unity members. Um, Eric was there, Steve, uh, Becky Lawrence from this campus was also there. Just a wonderful group, wonderful week. And I just wanted to share a couple stories from it before we get to our, our gospel lesson for today and our, both our stories and why they're so perfect for today. So just a couple stories from our week. This was uh, day one at the clinic. That was the day I got to do the fluoride. And uh, we always put the fluoride station right next to the kids' craft area so that you could pull the kids one by one to do the teeth and the teeth brushing. So I had been by the craft area all day, um, and that's where kids go and they're making the bracelets and stickers and drawing with craft supplies that you guys donated, so thank you if you were part of that. So it's the end of the day, right? And we're packing up to go and we're saying goodbye to families as they're leaving. And um, this one little girl comes up to me and she gives me a big hug. We got a lot of hugs during this week. And I think maybe, Brandon, are you able to show a picture of her? I'll go try one, the girl with her bracelet. Yeah, so she came up to me. It's the end, end of the last day and she comes up and she has had a lot of fun in the kids area. So she is covered in stickers and uh, she's on her arms. She got, by this point, two bracelets that she had made during the day. And so she comes up and she says goodbye and she takes off one of her bracelets and tries to give it to me. 
Okay, now I had been watching this girl all day, and I knew how hard she worked on that bracelet, and I had seen how carefully she picked out each bead one at a time, and I knew how proud of it she was, and I didn't know, but I could guess, you know, what kind of home she's going to, and I can guess how special it must be for her to have something that's new and have something that's pretty. So I was just like, oh, no, no, I, I can't take it. No, 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 you keep it, you keep it, you keep it. And she really wanted to give it to me, but I, I was just too embarrassed. I was like, no, no, no. So here's what she did. She took the bracelet. She undid it. She pulled off one bead. She gave me the bead. And I did take it. Okay, story two, if you go back one, Brandon. So this is Raina. She came to the clinic on day two, um, and that's her little baby who's with her. I think his name was Ulysses. Um, and he was, he was just a couple months younger than Alice, but he's not even crawling yet. So some kind of developmental disability he has. And maybe she did too. It was a little hard to tell. There was something a little bit different about her, but she looked like she's probably in her 20s. Um, came all by herself to the clinic with her baby. And um, we've been, so we've been really blessed the last couple of years to travel uh, with people who are trained in mental health and counseling. Eric was one of our counselors this year. We also had another woman, Janice. And so doctors and nurses refer people to get, just to go talk to them if it's somebody who has maybe experienced trauma or has shows some signs of some kind of mental illness, or, or just seems overwhelmed or under-supported, then they would go talk to them. So they sent um, Raina to go talk to Janice, one of our counselors, um, for struggles with postpartum depression, which I struggled with too. So more than anything, I just wanted to go to this mom and hug her and say, it's going to be OK, and it gets easier, and you can do this, and you're an amazing mom. But I, I wasn't even supposed to know why she was going to the counselors. And I'm certainly no counselor, and my Spanish isn't that good. So instead, what I did was offer to hold her baby uh, while she talked with Janice, because she was trying to talk, but the baby was fussing and crying. And so she let me. And so I took baby Ulysses, and, and we went for a walk. And I held him, and I told him all the things that people told Alice and me when I was struggling that his mom loves him like crazy, and that she's working so hard to be the best mom that she can be, and that he is a gift, and he's cherished, and he's precious, and he's safe, and everything is going to be OK. And I sang to him all of the songs that I sing to Alice, and he fell asleep in my arms. And thank goodness he did, because as he slept for hours, Raina stayed at the clinic for like, she was there like the whole day. She stayed, she went to the art area with Joe, and she was making bracelets and coloring and doing stickers, and she stayed the entire day. She even stayed after kids left and helped us clean up all of the arts and craft supplies and put them away, helped us haul all of the tables and chairs, and she just looked by the time she left, she just looked like she was walking just a little bit lighter. And I just love that. Even, even for a few hours, she got to be not alone, and she got to be supported, and she got to be surrounded by people who love her and who love her baby. All right, one last story, one last photo. Uh, we got to celebrate on the third day of the clinic the 24th birthday of Melissa Menjivar. She's one of the youth from Cordero de Dios. 
um, and she is, she is bright, and she is funny, and she is fun, and she's a leader in their youth ministry programs, but she spent almost five months of her 24th year in and out of the ICU of the worst public hospital in El Salvador because she has diabetes, and she was suffering complications from that. And so actually, the previous year, when we were on this February trip, was that first time that she had been in the hospital. And so I got to go see her on the last day, so this is in 2018, with one of our doctors to visit her there. And that hospital is a scary, scary place. I mean, there's no rooms. It's just like big ward, bed after bed after bed. It looks like something out of a war movie, um, you know, very little support. Friends and family are only allowed to visit one hour a day. So she's there all by herself. And when we were there that previous year, I was there with the doctor. And as we were leaving, he just told me she's in renal failure and she's probably not going to make it. So she has made it. She did make it. All year, we've stayed in touch with her. We've supported her and her family financially. We've kept her in touch with doctors from our church and from the Bread of Healing Free Clinic, our partner in Milwaukee. And she's not out of the woods, and we don't know what's going to happen with her. But what a miracle to be able to celebrate her birthday with her. So we sang to her in both Spanish and English, and it wasn't until she was blowing out the candles that we realized how crazy it was to be giving somebody who's diabetic a cake for their birthday. Duh, oops, so we quickly found something else to give her as a present and told her that the cake was for her family. Oh boy. Now to our gospel story, both readings really both mountaintop stories. So mountaintops, a great place to be, but not a place we're meant to stay, right? They are a place that is new and different and special and exciting. And when you're on top of the mountain, one of the great things is that you can see both backwards to where you've come from and also forwards to where you're headed. So it's a place you can go and get perspective. And it's a place we go where God gives us something that we're going to need to get through the next stretch of the journey. So in the Exodus reading, the one of Moses, right? They're in between. They are in between slavery in Egypt and freedom of the promised land. And up on the mountain, God gives them the Ten Commandments, some guidance to help them through the next stage of their journey. And then in the Luke reading, On top of the mountain, we are in between Jesus' miraculous healing and liberating ministry and the joy of that, and then the suffering and pain of the cross. And God gives those disciples who are with Jesus some guidance that's going to help them make it through the next stretch that's coming. So a couple things to know, especially about the gospel reading. Moses and Elijah, who the people are who are with him, Moses and Elijah. So Moses, he's the one who sets the people free from slavery, leads them into the freedom of the promised land. And Elijah, Elijah's a prophet, and in Jewish tradition, his presence was going to be one of the signs of the coming of the end of the age, so the bringing to completion of God's work of salvation. So those are the people who are with him. Also, the symbolism of the colors and the light. So the shining of Jesus' face, 
That's supposed to be a symbol to remind you of the shining of Moses' face. It's a sign of having been in the presence of God. The shining of his clothes, that's a foreshadowing to the shining white garments that we're going to find in the empty tomb on Easter morning. The most important thing, though, in that gospel, the very first words. Do you remember what they are? The very beginning of the reading. Now, about eight days after these sayings. That's a very intentional time stamp that the writer is giving us. So anytime you hear that, you, of course, then want to ask, okay, eight days after what? So eight days ago, what Jesus was saying was probably his most difficult, most disturbing teaching, which was to tell everybody that he's going to suffer and he's going to die and he's going to rise. And not only that, but then he tells everyone that anyone who wants to follow him has to do that too, that they have to pick up their cross every day, deny themselves, and follow him. That is disturbing and scary and hard stuff. And so it's no accident that eight days later comes this miraculous story. Why eight days? Because in the early Christian tradition, the eighth day, so seven days is a complete cycle, right? And the eighth day is the dawning of the next one. The eighth day is the day of resurrection. So can you see how this is this climax story that both look back, looks backwards to where you've come and also forwards to where we're going? And all of these tiny little details, there are all tiny signs that together are making this big promise that how God has delivered us, God will again deliver us. And that promise couldn't come at a better time, right? Both in this story, because we know when we're headed down the mountain, we're headed towards Jerusalem, and we're headed towards the cross. And it couldn't come at a better time, this story, at where we are in the seasons of life in the church, right? Because we have finishing the season of Epiphany, and since Christmas we have been climbing up, up, up with these incredible stories of Jesus' power and his miracles. But next Wednesday we start Lent, and we start with the dry dust of ashes on Ash Wednesday, and then we journey through 40 days in the desert, and we end at Good Friday at the cross. And that is a hard hard journey to walk. And this couldn't come at a better time in our own life because that's how our own life is too. Lots of ups, lots of downs, lots of mountaintops, lots of valleys. And being a Christian doesn't mean that we have any more mountaintops or any fewer valleys, but it does mean that God gives us something when we're up there that we can take with us that can help carry us through whatever is coming next. For those of us who get to go to El Salvador, it's kind of a mountaintop time, right? For eight days, you are laughing and crying and hugging and learning, and all of your energy every single hour of the day is going into serving the people of God. And so you have this amazing week, and you come back, and you look around you at the people you've traveled with, and it's like everybody is glowing, faces glowing from having been in the presence of God all week, and you just want to take all of that and hold it, and you want to just live with that glow 365 days of the year. But then you come back, and there's laundry to do, and there's dishes to wash, and there's groceries to get, and there's Alice to chase around. And that's all okay, because you get something when you're there that helps you 
when life gets really hard or just when life gets boring and monotonous. And God gives you something that you can take away. It's different every time, but here's what I'm taking away this year. I'm taking away the generosity of that little girl and her determination to give something to this stranger who had become a friend. And I'm taking away the strength of Raina and the connection of two moms from totally different lives, right? Totally different, but with some similar struggles, and at least for one day with babies who fall asleep to the exact same songs. And I'm taking away Melissa, and I'm taking away the miracle of life where all we expected was death, and the fervent, desperate prayer that we are going to be able to celebrate more and more and more birthdays with her. So generosity in the face of scarcity, connection in the midst of division, and hope in the face of incredible odds. May we receive all that and more during our own mountaintop times, and may it be exactly what we need to carry us through the valley.